I wonder what your priorities are in life as we go into the year 2022. And when I say priorities, I'm talking about those things that matter most to you. For example, maybe as a parent right now, your main priority is to get your kids through remote learning without the whole family tearing each other apart. Or maybe, for our young people, your priority is to see how little work you can get away with during remote learning without your parents finding out. For others, your priority may be eating healthier this year or maybe exercising more. For some, your priority may be spending more time connecting with family and friends or finally completing that home renovation project that you started eight months ago. It might be finding new accommodation or maybe even looking for a new job. For some of you, your priority might be finally renewing your license plate sticker that's almost been expired for a year. Or maybe, if you're one of our young people, your priority is finally applying for your learner's driver's permit. However, for some, your priority may simply be getting out of bed and managing your health each day. If I'm being honest, my priority is watching English Premier League soccer matches each weekend to the horror of my wife, Diana. Yes, each week I check the schedule of soccer matches that week, and I'm intentional about carving out time to watch an English Premier League soccer match. And also, due to the time difference between England and Canada, there are some matches that start at 7.30 a.m. on a Saturday morning, so I'm even willing to sacrifice my line on a Saturday to watch a Premier League soccer match. So as you can see, I like to watch English soccer matches, so I make that my priority. But it's interesting, isn't it? Priorities, because when we think about our priorities, they really reveal what's most important to us, don't they? Well, as Christians, God has called us to a set of priorities that often differ from others who do not follow Jesus. Often as a Christian, our priorities are at odds with those who are not Christians, or at least they should. You see, in our passage this morning, we find that Jesus' priorities differ from his own parents, Mary and Joseph. And we're going to examine why Jesus' priorities differ and what implications that has for me and you today. However, we can also sympathize with Mary and Joseph, can't we? We can sympathize with their priorities. As parents, their highest priority is for the welfare of their child. Well, if this is true, then how did they not know that Jesus was missing until a day after they left Jerusalem? Well, in those days, when the Jewish people made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem, they would travel in what we would call a caravan. Generally speaking, caravans were made up of people from the same town or from several neighboring villages. So it's most likely that Mary and Joseph would have grouped together with other families from Nazareth for the journey. Now, the women and children would normally travel at the front when, while the men and young men would follow from behind. So it's very likely that when Joseph didn't see Jesus with him, alongside him, he would have thought that Jesus was with Mary. And likewise, Mary, when she didn't see Jesus with him, she most probably thought that Jesus was with Joseph. And it was only at the end of the day that each family of the caravan would gather together at night. So you can imagine the shock and panic of Mary and Joseph after they discovered that Jesus is missing after having traveled a whole day. If you're a parent, you know the anxiety, don't you, that brings when your child is missing and you don't even know where they are and you have no idea where to begin looking. You see, Mary and Joseph would have spent the whole day searching for Jesus where they were. Then they would have taken another whole day to go back to Jerusalem. And then on the third day, they would have found him at the temple. 
Now, we can see from the passage the anxiety and stress that Jesus causes his parents, and we can sympathize with them because his welfare is their priority. Also, his parents would be right to think that one of Jesus' priorities as their son would be to obey his parents. So one of the questions people often have as they come to this particular passage is, was it wrong for Jesus to stay behind in Jerusalem? Did Jesus sin against his parents by being in the temple? Well, to answer that question, we need to look at verses 48 and 49 again. Now, if we look at verses 48 and 49, we see how the dialogue between Jesus and his parents reveals that Jesus was fully aware of his unique and personal relationship with God the Father and how he prioritizes his relationship with God. So how do we know that Jesus is aware of his unique relationship with God? Well, notice in the exchange how Mary refers to Jesus as her son, and then later she makes a reference to Joseph as your father. But in Jesus' response to Mary, Jesus says, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? You see, it's clear from the passage that Jesus' response to Mary and Joseph, that they do not understand what he's saying. It doesn't seem to make sense to them. You see, Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, is standing right there in front of him, and yet Jesus is saying that he must be in his father's house. That's why in verse 50 it says, they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. So what did Jesus mean when he said, I must be in my father's house? Well, Jesus was referring to the very temple where his parents had found him. You see, the temple in Jesus' time was God's dwelling place. It was where God's people would meet to gather and worship and meet with God. But the fact that Jesus refers to the temple as his father's house is completely unique to Jesus in Scripture. You see, in Old Testament Scripture, you often refer to God as our father. But even men like Moses and David, they never refer to Jesus as my father, to God as my father. So we see uh, when Jesus uses the phrase, my father, he shows that even at the age of 12, he was fully aware that he was the son of God. And he was fully aware of his unique and personal relationship with God. In fact, throughout the New Testament, we see that it is Jesus alone who thoroughly knows the Father, and is the Father who thoroughly knows Jesus. We see this truth later in Luke chapter 10, verse 22, when Jesus says, All things have been given or handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the, fa- who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And also in John 1, verse 18, in the NIV, John writes this, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God, and his in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. But Luke doesn't only want us to understand that Jesus is fully aware that he is the Son of God, but Luke wants to show us that Jesus prioritizes his relationship with the Father. You see, Jesus prioritizes his relationship with God over any other human earthly relationships. You see, as his mother and father, Mary and Joseph had the right to expect Jesus to be where, he was, where he, they expected him to be. As a parent, you may relate to the frustration and anxiety of a child disappearing and having no idea where they are. And when you finally find them, they're completely oblivious to the fact that you've been frantically searching for them for over an hour. But in this case, can you see that Jesus makes it clear that they had a wrong assumption about where he meant to be? Jesus was not sinning against his earthly parents. Instead, he was exactly where he should have been. He was exactly where they should have expected Jesus to be. Given Jesus' unique identity as the Son of God, 
You see, Jesus had to be in the temple. You see, part of the problem we see arise is that his earthly parents, Mary and Joseph, they did not fully understand who Jesus was, and therefore they had other priorities. But as mentioned before, the temple was God's dwelling place on earth, and therefore it was the place where God the Son was to commune and have fellowship with God the Father. Yes, humanly speaking, we can understand and feel sympathy for Mary and Joseph as they anxiously searched for their lost son. But you see, they had different priorities as they didn't fully understand who Jesus was. No doubt, there is, no doubt that Jesus understood his obligations and duty to his earthly parents, as we'll see shortly. But can you see in verse 49, the priority that Jesus puts is his relationship with God. But at this point, we should stop and ask ourselves, how do I prioritize my relationship with God? Or maybe an even more fundamental question for us to ask is, do I prioritize my relationship with God? What family relationships, friendships, or personal relationships are taking priority over your own personal relationship with God? The truth is, often our closest personal relationships, whether at work, home, school, or college, can have the biggest influence over our lives, which is why we should prioritize our relationship with God first. Now, that doesn't mean a husband should prioritize his relationship with God at the expense of the relationship with his wife, but it does mean the importance of both a husband and a wife individually prioritizing their relationship with God as the basis for their marriage. So my question to you is, how can you prioritize your relationship with God? Well, like Jesus in the passage, we are to commune or have fellowship with God. In the passage, Jesus' Jesus's priority is to commune with God in the Father's house, in the temple. Well, you and I, we can commune with God too amongst God's people as we're doing now. Maybe God is calling you to prioritize coming to church to gather with God's people and to commune with Him through gathered worship or to commune with Him in a life group. We can also commune with God in our own personal devotional time. Now, I know the reality is that life is busy. We're constantly doing something, aren't we? We're either taking the kids somewhere, working, doing some home improvements, meeting up with others, going shopping, going to doctor's appointments, cooking, cleaning, studying, texting, emailing, browsing social media, internet searching, playing video games, streaming a movie on Netflix, watching video on YouTube, watching TV sports. The list is endless. There always seems to be something getting in the way of spending time with God, isn't there? However, I find it quite telling that in Mark's account of Jesus' earthly ministry, that despite the increased demands on Jesus, Jesus still prioritizes his own personal relationship with God the Father. Mark tells us in Mark 1, verse 35, that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Now, I want you to know that this is just a glimpse of how Jesus prioritized his own personal relationship with God. But there are five key things I think we can observe just from this short passage that can help us to cultivate our own personal relationship with God. First, if we want to prioritize and cultivate a relationship with God, we need to be intentional. We need to have a plan. When it comes to prioritizing our relationship with God, we need to carve out time to make it happen. Earlier I said how I was intentional about carving out time to watch English Premier League soccer matches at the weekend. Well, we need to be intentional about spending our time with God if we are to cultivate a personal relationship with God. 
For Jesus, it was early in the morning. For you, it may be in the middle of the day or maybe late in the evening. But whatever time of day you choose, you and I, we need to be intentional about cultivating our own personal relationship with God. Next, we need to be disciplined. You see, there's no use in having a plan if you're not going to stick to it. Yes, life can get in the way, but if I'm honest with myself, a lot of the time when I have not been intentional about spending time with God, I've always found time to do what I want to do. It must have taken Jesus' discipline not just to get up in the morning, but also to get up while it was still dark. Thirdly, if we are to be intentional and disciplined, then we need to be able to be focused when we're cultivating our relationship with God. That means finding the right environment where you are free from interruptions or distractions. Notice how Jesus in Mark 1 went to a desolate place where it was quiet, where he could be by himself, alone with God. For many of us, being able to focus means going to a quiet place where there are no distractions. And maybe for some of you, it might mean using a physical Bible rather than um, a smart device. Because even then, we can get easily distracted, can't we? Fourthly, if we are to prioritize our relationship with God, then we need to recognize that there will be a sacrifice. Something has to give. For some, it might be watching less television, spending less time on the internet, dropping a gym class or a round of golf. For others, it may be getting to bed early so that in the morning you can get up early to have that devotional time. You see, Jesus in Mark 1 was willing to sacrifice his comfort by getting up early in the morning while it was still dark to pray. And fifthly and finally and most importantly, we can't be intentional, disciplined, focused, be prepared to make sacrifices if there's no desire to do so in the first place. You see, we can't cultivate our relationship with God if there's no desire to prioritize our relationship with God in the first place. This is why we need God's grace to change our hearts. And we need to pray that through the Holy Spirit, God would kindle that desire within us to want to spend time with him. So those are just five practical ways we can think about prioritizing our relationship with God. But maybe you're not a Christian and you're here with us today, or maybe you're listening online And maybe the thought of prioritizing your relationship with God doesn't even occur to you because you don't really see your need for Jesus or your need for God. Well, shortly, hopefully, you'll see why you need to prioritize your need for Jesus. But at this point in the passage, we see that Jesus prioritized his relationship with God the Father above any other earthly relationships. And as Christians, we should consider how we prioritize our own relationship with God. But next, we see that Jesus... Not only prioritizes the relationship with God, he prioritizes the will of God, the Father, above everything else. In fact, I would say that it is in submitting to the will of God the Father that Jesus does prioritize his relationship with God. So how do we see Jesus prioritizing and submitting to the will of the Father? Well, when Jesus says to Mary in verse 49, did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? I want you to notice the phrase that Jesus uses. What does he say? He says, I must. Now, Jesus could have easily just said, didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? But Luke recalls Jesus saying that, didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Now, this is significant because it helps us to see how Jesus prioritizes the father's will by being in the temple, engaging with the teachers with scripture. And also we see a foreshadowing of Jesus' earthly ministry and God's will for Jesus in his ministry. Or if you look on the screen, we see evidence for this in Luke chapter 4, verses 42 to 44. Look at what Jesus records. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. 
But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogue of Judea. Now, the context for this is that Jesus has been healing people of various sicknesses and diseases, and he's been driving out demons. And so his reputation had grown, and there was a demand for Jesus to stay and heal many more people. People had even tried to stop him from leaving the town. But notice what Jesus says. I must. I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. Why must Jesus do this? Well, look at verse 43. Because that is why I was sent. You see, in this example, we see that Jesus fully submits to the will of the Father over and above the will of others. Jesus is telling us that the gospel must be preached, and therefore, preaching the good news is Jesus' priority. But why? Well, because as Paul says in Romans 1, verse 16, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. But as well as prioritizing God's will above others, Jesus even prioritizes God's will above his own will. You see, in John 6, verse 38, Jesus declares this, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus makes it clear that he prioritizes the Father's will. And ultimately, we knew that his obedience would lead him to go to the cross. And so, if we look at Mark 8, verse 31 to 33, we see Jesus explain to his disciples that it is the Father's will that he would suffer and die. But I want you to notice something in this passage. I want you to see the contrast between Jesus and Peter. This is what Mark writes. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. First of all, notice how Mark says that Jesus must suffer many things and that he must be killed. Similar to how Jesus says he must be in his father's house. But then Mark tells us that Jesus spoke plainly about this. But then Peter takes Jesus aside and rebukes Jesus. You see, Peter takes Jesus aside because he doesn't want to happen what must happen. You see, Peter's will is that Jesus would go against God's will. But then we see Jesus rebuke Peter. You see, he rebukes Peter because Jesus is prioritizing God's will above the will of Peter. And what is God's will? Well, God's will is that helpless sinners would be saved from sin. You see, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night he was arrested, we see Jesus wrestling with the agony of taking on the punishment of judgment for our sin. And we read this in Mark chapter 14, verses 32 to 52. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed, if it were possible, the hour may pass pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Again, I want to show you that even though Jesus was going through the torment of the impending crucifixion, Jesus says, yet not I will, but what you will. You see, Jesus clearly here submits the will of the Father over and above his own will. And Jesus prioritizes the Father's will, which is to save sinners from judgment. And so whether you're a Christian or not, the fact that Jesus was willing to suffer and die, I want you to see this, that the fact that Jesus was willing to suffer and die should hopefully 
Open your eyes to the seriousness of your need for Jesus and why you should prioritize your need for Jesus. Also, the fact that Jesus prioritizes the Father's will shows Jesus' love for the Father, but also his love for those who trust in him. So here in the temple and throughout Jesus' life, we see Jesus continually prioritize the Father's will. And so the question for us today is, how do I prioritize God's will above my own will? Or how do I prioritize God's will above the will of others? You see, sometimes we have to make hard choices that others don't understand, as we see in Mark 8, when Jesus rebukes Peter. As Christians, God has called us to a set of priorities that differ from other people who go through life without any reference to God. You see, our time gathered with God's people at church or in life group or at youth group or our time spent in God's word or serving in ministry will not be understood by people with different priorities. Sometimes the choices in prioritizing God's will will be difficult as perhaps we're not doing or getting involved with something that others want us to do. Sometimes there are tensions between our commitment to our jobs and our commitments to our ministry or fellowship. It is in those times we need to earnestly seek God's will and ask for his wisdom when it comes to prioritizing our commitments. Sometimes tensions between commitments to your job and making time available for ministry or fellowship may lead your colleagues to question why you do what you do. But as we see in the life of Jesus, prioritizing God's will above the will of others and our own is not easy. But it is a reflection of our relationship with God. So, so far we've looked at Jesus' divinity where Jesus understood that he is God's son and he prioritizes his relationship with God. Then we looked at Jesus' ministry where Jesus submits to the will of God and prioritizes the will of the Father. And finally, what we see in verse 51, we can see that Jesus' humanity where he prioritizes the will of the Father by submitting to the will of his parents. You see, in submitting to his parents, we see Jesus' humanity. You see, although he was the son of God, Jesus had earthly parents, and it was good for him to submit to them. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, hey, Arissa, aren't you contradicting what you just said earlier? Aren't you going against what you stated, that it was good for Jesus to prioritize his relationship with his heavenly father, but now you're saying it was good for him to submit to his earthly parents? Well, what we see here in Luke 2.51 is that in submitting to Mary and Joseph, Jesus is, in fact, submitting to his heavenly father and doing God's will. Well, how is that so? Well, in the Ten Commandments given to God's people in the book of Exodus, the fifth commandment is what? To honor your father and your mother. And in Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 4, the Apostle Paul restates this commandment with some additional notes, and he writes it like this, as you can see on the screen. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, for our young people in particular, can you see how Paul says it is good to obey your parents? Paul says it is the right thing to do. It is the right thing to do, boys and girls, because it is the commandment from God. And actually, by listening to your parents' instruction, it will benefit you later in life. But primarily, it is good to submit to your parents because by submitting to them, you are in fact submitting to God. In other words, by obeying your parents, you are in fact obeying God. On the flip side, by disobeying and disrespecting your parents, you are in fact disobeying and disrespecting God. And Jesus knew this. Even though he knew he was the Son of God, he also knew it was God's will for him to submit to his earthly parents. 
But now I'm going to turn my attention to you parents. Don't think you get off the hook that easily. You see, parents, it's important to understand why our children are meant to obey and honor their parents. I think sometimes we can make a bad job of explaining to our kids why they are to obey us. For example, we may ask our kids to do something, and they may ask why. And maybe out of our frustration, we can often say, because I told you, because I'm in charge, because you won't get to play your video game. What about this classic? Because I'm the one who pays the bills in this house. See, parents, our young people need to understand the biblical reason for why they are to obey us. Yes, technically, as parents, you are in charge, but our young people need to understand that it's God who has put you over them to raise them in the way that he has instructed. They need to understand that God is the head of the house and that under him he has put you as parents to raise them in the way that he has instructed. However, if that's true, then parents, that means there's an obligation on you too. Yes, God calls children to obey their parents, but notice he calls children to obey their parents in the Lord. And in verse 4, parents are to raise their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So parents, although children are called to obey their parents, they're called to obey them they're not called to obey them in just everything and anything. Our children are not under obligation to obey us if what we're calling them to do is to dishonor God. For example, we should expect children to obey their parents if we call them to clean up their rooms, stop fighting, or switch off a video game. But they're not obligated to submit if we are calling them to dishonor God, to lie on our behalf or to be dishonest. Yes, children are to obey their parents in the Lord, and we need to help them understand why they should obey their parents. But at the same time, Parents are to raise their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Incidentally, if you look back at verse 41 of Luke chapter 2, we see Mary and Joseph do this with Jesus. You see, Luke records that Mary and Joseph went to Jerusalem every year for the Feast of Passover. So what that means is from a very early age, Jesus would have observed and learnt the meaning and significance of the Passover alongside his earthly parents. He would have observed how his parents prioritized the worship of God in their family life. But going back to the topic of submission, I think generally we all often struggle with submission, not just children and young people. For example, as workers, we, don't, we do not always want to listen to our bosses. As church members, we may not always want to listen to our pastors and elders. As citizens, we may not always want to follow our leaders. We are all tempted to do exactly the opposite, to insist on our own way. But God calls us to serve and to submit to him by submitting to the people he has placed in positions of authority, providing, though, that they do not call us to dishonor him. So in this passage, we see that Jesus was fully aware that he was the Son of God, and yet it was good and right for him to obey and submit to his earthly parents, because in submitting to them, he was prioritizing his relationship with God, and he was prioritizing God's will. Now, as we come to a close, I can't help but see how the priority of Jesus' mission to come and save sinners from judgment is foreshadowed in the opening verses of our passage. So let's look at the opening two verses again in Luke 2, verses 41 to 42. This is what Luke records. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. So verse 41 mentions the Feast of Passover. What was the Feast of Passover? Well, the Feast of Passover was the commemoration and celebration of how God delivered his people out of slavery from Egypt. According to Jewish custom, during the Passover meal, the story of how God rescued his people from Egypt would be told. 
So Jesus, as a boy, would have heard this story many, many times around the table. And he would have learned how God had instructed his people through Moses to take a Passover lamb, slaughter it, and then place some of the blood on the door frames of the houses. You see, the reason they did that was because when the angel of death passed over Egypt, all the lives of the firstborn sons would be saved from death. In other words, because of the blood of the lamb, the Israelites were spared from God's judgment on Egypt. Well, the boy Jesus we've read about in the temple this morning would eventually grow up to become that Passover lamb. Jesus is the lamb of God that covers, whose blood covers and protects us so that we can be saved from judgment. Also, Jesus is the lamb of God sacrificed to set us free from slavery to sin. And that is what we're going to commemorate shortly as Pastor Russell leads us in communion. You see, communion reminds us of the unique relationship that Jesus had with the Father. And also it reminds us of the only way we can have a relationship with the Father. Communion also reminds us of how Jesus submitted and prioritized the will of the Father so that you and I can be saved from sin. Let's pray. Gracious God, we just thank you for this passage. We thank you that we see three key things. We see that in Jesus' divinity, that Jesus is fully aware that he's the Son of God. And therefore, he prioritizes his relationship with you. Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that we would really examine our hearts to understand how we prioritize our relationship with you. Help us to understand how we can be intentional, focused, have a desire to be prepared to make sacrifices so that we can cultivate relationship with you. We thank you as well that we see in this passage how Jesus prioritizes your will. Heavenly Father, we know that led him to go to the cross. Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that we would uh, examine how we can prioritize your will over our own will and the will of others. Heavenly Father, we see how in Jesus' humanity, in submitting to his earthly parents, he was submitting to you and submitting to your will. Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that we'd understand how submitting to those who you put in authority over us, we can submit to you, providing we are not called to dishonor you. So, Heavenly Father, in all this, we pray, Lord, uh, that you would help us re-examine our priorities. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.